better about what's happening with the pulpit committee and process that's been going on with that. And then uh, having some prayer tonight. I want to tonight also uh, tell you about we're going to go back to a modified version of Sunday school like it was before. And uh, we'll cut that time down in between till about 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes. And we will have some uh, classes for uh, mature men and classes for mature ladies. And class, how'd you like the way I worded that? You like that? <laughs> mature ladies. And uh, for teenagers and for, um, for the young adults, both college and the young uh, singles and couples will be in a class together. Uh, Jesse's going to teach that. And then I'm going to be teaching a class to those who are newly saved, trusted Jesus recently, or those who are interested in growing again spiritually. And uh, we'll have an, a new beginnings type class in the pastor's office. Uh, that office is so small you have to step outside to change your mind. And uh, <laughs> So uh, anyway, there'll be a, we'll have a good time and there'll be, it'll be close fellowship. It'll be close fellowship, but we'll have a great time. And so if you're, if you're newly saved or you would like to uh, get a new start on spiritual growth and discipleship, then you'd want to be a part of that class. Linda and I'll be a part of that class uh, starting two weeks from today. And we'll explain more about that tonight. What a rich text we find uh, today in Philippians chapter 2, it is a key passage in Christology. It is a tremendous text of scripture and uh, it is showing us real example of what we've talked about already where it says in chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves This is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's the perfect example of humility. And that's the only way that we'll have unity in our church, in our family, in our life, is when we practice true humility. And he's showing us this example in a tremendous text of scripture uh, here in Philippians chapter 2. And for those of you guys studying for the ministry, or those of you that are young preacher boys, these are This is a tremendous text with some rich doctrines of scripture uh, found in these few verses. This in the early church was probably a hymn that was sung. uh, And these these verses, we read them already uh, at the beginning of the service. But he says, let this mind be in you, this attitude be in you of humility which was also in Christ Jesus. It's called the kenosis passage. It uses a a word in Greek where it says in verse uh, 7, he made himself of no reputation. It is the word kenosis, which means to empty. And uh, he emptied himself. We'll explain that uh, in a little bit as we get to that portion of Scripture. He said, fulfill my joy in verse 2 of chapter 2. And this was fulfilling his joy uh, as the Apostle Paul saw the church at Philippi exemplifying the attitude of the Lord Jesus in true humility. We see 
in this passage of scripture, beginning in verse 6, who being in the form of God. A tremendous passage and, and phrase in the form of God. Guess what? This shows us the incarnation. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And deity is, the deity of Christ is something that is fundamental to our faith. We will stand upon the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnation, we usually celebrate it at Christmas when we remember the birth of the Lord Jesus in the manger. God became man. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus is God with us. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. When we're thinking about the incarnation and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. You go to a, uh, a Bible by the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have said in the beginning was the word. It's a small W. And it says at the end of this verse, it says, and the word was with God and the word was God. In their Bible, it says, and the word was a God, small g. Can I tell you something? Jesus is God in the flesh. And he became in the form of, of a man, it says here. And John chapter 1, verse 2 says, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And we sang about the, the cross. The mighty maker made the cross that he died on. He died, he, he's the creator of all. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then notice verse 14. And the word was made flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He tabernacled among us. Here he is, God in the flesh. How can how could we live without a Savior? How could we live without one who came and became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He desires that you and I be a follower of the one who came in the incarnation. Let this mind be in you. The same attitude as Jesus had. He's a pattern. He's an example. He's a model of true humility. But he's God. He's God. You know, uh, for a Savior who exemplified what Jesus exemplified in this passage, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3. It exemplifies to us what's going to happen in the last days. And by the way, we're in the last days. So we're, we're, it says perilous times shall come. And one of the characteristics 
There's 18 characteristics in that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It said, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Here is exactly the opposite of that. Jesus exemplified not loving himself. He emptied himself. He's the unique God-man. It says here, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's equal with God. He said, I and my father are one. John 10, 30. This idea of robbery means he thought it not something to be grasped or he didn't, he didn't take the deity. He didn't, by the fact, he didn't lay aside his deity. When he came, he was still God. But he didn't take it as something to use for personal gain. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I just reflected on some things this week and in writing all that down, in heaven he's God. In the manger he was God. In Mary and Joseph's home he was God. In the carpenter shop he was God. In his baptism by John the Baptist he was God. His whole life here and now he's God. With his disciples he's God. On the cross, he was God. In the tomb, he was God. In his resurrected body, he was God. Jesus is God. And we need to count on it, buddy. Count on it. There are those today trying to deny that. And I'm glad at the Father's right hand, interceding for you and me today, he's still God. In eternity past, he was still God. In the present, he's a very present help. He's still God. In eternity, in the future, he's still God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 says, God at sundry times and in divers manners. He spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. But he has in these last days spoken to us, notice, by his son. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things and by whom also he hath made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person. Here he is, the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power. When he hath by himself purged our sins, he set down the right hand of the majesty on high. And then verse 8, But in the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. Here he addresses the Son as God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus is God. He became Man, equal with God. Thomas, when he missed the first Sunday night church service, by the way, that's why you ought to be here on Sunday night. Thomas missed that first Sunday night church service. He got a chance to be with Jesus later. And he got to see the nail prints and touch his side. 
And what was his statement? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus is God. Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery or something to be grasped, to be equal with God. He didn't use it to his own personal advantage. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. The disciples one day were, two of them, James and John, arguing over who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Mama asked, now when you enter your kingdom, could one of my boys sit on the right hand or on the left? (laughs) What a statement. How often do we think like that, though, in our own lives? He said, it's not given to me of that. But he said, those that humble themselves shall be exalted. By the way, in the Christian life, the way up is down. And he shows us in this passage what it's like to truly humble ourselves. He stepped down in incarnation and one day, at the end of this passage, we'll see it. He'll be exalted on high. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The one who is God. He never used this deity, being God, as I said, to personal advantage. I like the song that said he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He did not use his deity for personal advantage. He made himself of no reputation. And a song that Ron Hamilton also wrote that we sing at Christmas, Born to Die, said he laid aside heaven's fame. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation of the many privileges that he had here on earth. He never once used it for his own advantage. He was still God. He still performed miracles. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He still made himself of no reputation. He gave up the brilliance of heaven to suffer and die on a rugged cross for you and me. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are my favorite text on the subject of biblical giving. And you want to study that sometimes on your own. I would encourage it. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 though says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He made himself of no reputation. He laid aside the privileges that he had of deity, He still was God. He didn't lay that aside. But he did it 
for you and for me. And then not only does it say he made himself of no reputation, but he took upon him the form of a servant. The word is doulos. He took upon himself the form of a, of a bond slave. Josh Pate, as you know, in his prayer card, uses 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Amen. A servant for the one who became a servant. He took upon himself the form of a servant. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Here's what it says, 20, 28. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's the word servant, or the word from which we get our, our word deacon from. And to give his life a ransom for many. He that is greatest among you, he said, let him be your Servant. Jesus exemplified that in John chapter 13 as he took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. He showed him that the job, that was a menial servant's job that he did as he washed the disciples' feet. And I often say, and he even washed Judas's feet as well. Had a borrowed donkey, a borrowed room, borrowed tomb he became a bond slave a servant for you and me in Isaiah 53 it says all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way but the Lord hath laid on him on that servant the Lamb of God Jesus laid the iniquity of us all He carried our burdens, a burden and a sin that we could not bear. I had a fellow in our church, Owen McDaniel in Sheraw. I'd met him. I put a a flyer in every motel room in that little town of Sheraw, 5,000 people, and there were three motels, and they let us put a flyer under the Gideon Bible, and Owen McDaniel and his wife came and and stayed there uh, a few days as they were moving to the town from Winchester, Virginia. They were from independent Baptist background, had a house down in Titusville, Florida, and uh, they wanted to locate somewhere between Virginia and Florida and had a daughter in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so in their retirement, they came to that town, didn't know anybody there, just saw a little town, a sign on this on the town's uh, sign that said, prettiest town in Dixie. And they said, I think that was just where we'll stop. <laughs> they stayed in the motel and uh, they read that flyer. And he, uh, he came to church the next Sunday. And we had, I guess, 20 to 25 people. We'd started with 14 people just a few weeks earlier. Auditorium seat 300 and a church that we restarted it had gone bankrupt. And uh, 
he told me as he was leaving the church, preacher, we, we may not be back. He said, uh, we've helped start a lot of independent Baptist churches and we just don't know whether we want to get involved in that kind of thing all over again. His wife got sick, went to the hospital. We heard about it. Went down there and visited her, prayed with her in the hospital. When she got out of the hospital, our ladies, those few ladies in our church, bombarded their house with all kinds of food. It was about six weeks later she recovered, came back to church. He said, Preacher, how do you join this thing? (laughs) He said, can I tell you something? He said, I've always wanted to be a servant. Just a servant. But then he said, but I've seen people who have served me. People who have served me. Your service for Christ, exemplifying what Jesus did, it matters. It matters. He was an interesting fellow. He, uh, he could sing. Uh, he sang loud, sang a tenor part uh, in the choir and would lead. I, he, said, he said, Brother, you're, you've been leading singing ever since I've been here. Would you mind if I led singing? I said, that would be fine. I said, now, Owen, do you wave your arm when you, when you lead singing? He said, Brother, I don't move my arm and my mouth at the same time unless there's a fork in it. He led with his voice, beautiful voice. But I preached his funeral a few years ago. And I'll tell you, he's a lot like the Capels. I'll say this about Brother Capel and Mrs. Capel. If you turned in the dictionary and looked up the word servant, I believe their picture would be there. They exemplify what servant in the Christian life is all about. All they're doing is by the grace of God, letting the grace of God help them to be like the Son of God, who it says here in our passage in Philippians, it said he took upon him the form of a servant, of a servant. It says here he was made in the likeness of men. Through the virgin birth, He became a man, born of a woman. It says in Luke chapter 2 that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the only thing we know about him from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30. He was the one who was tired, thirsty, hungry, He suffered, he wept, he slept, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was made in the likeness of men. Notice Colossians chapter 2, just over a page or two, verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This God, man, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man at the same time. It says here that he was made in the likeness of men. He, uh, it's very interesting, 
as you read the New Testament, he submitted to his parents, by the way. Did you hear what I said? He submitted to his parents. He had brothers and sisters. Many who didn't believe until the end of his life. And some of the books of this New Testament were written by some of those family members, by the way. He took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion, verse 8, as a man, he humbled himself. The Bible tells us in Philippians earlier that we preached on already that we're to be of the same mind, of the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But notice this, but in lowliness of mind, there's humility. Lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. First Peter chapter five, verses five and six. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves before God like he did. The story is told of President Lincoln. He had a, a general by the name of George McClellan who was the general over the army of the Potomac And that general thought he was somebody. But there was no success in any battles that he was leading. And so one night, President Lincoln went to the house of General McClellan. And he went in and nobody came to the door. Finally, a servant that he had in the house came to the door and let him in. He looked and he saw the president, President Lincoln. He looked and saw those other people with him. And he said, I'm going upstairs. He went upstairs and stayed 30, 45 minutes as the story's told. He never really acknowledged the president. He, uh, he finally came down and he said, uh, you can go home now. President Lincoln said, this man shows nothing of humility. He said, for a leader to be a leader, he must be a humble leader. This man was not a humble leader. Yet he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likes of men, being found in fashion, and he humbled himself. But notice what it says. He showed that in the end of verse 8, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The crucifixion was the worst death a man could suffer. People hated to think of hanging on a cross. It was saved for rebels. 
and real criminals, but not for a savior. But he humbled himself and died on an old rugged cross for you and for me. He laid his life down freely for you and me upon an old rugged cross. You say, well, that was the end. No, it wasn't the end. Someone had said that when Jesus died and those men placed, the soldiers placed his body in the tomb, that's the last time man had anything to do with what went on with Jesus. For three days later, he arose from the dead. He lives today. We serve a risen Savior, the one who humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. We sing that song about the name of Jesus and how beautiful that name is. It was given to him, remember, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But here it says, he's given him a name which is above every name. I'm glad that, as it says later, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Ron Hamilton, we've sung songs, other girls did by him already. At my retirement Sunday, May 21st of this year, our whole congregation sang, bow the knee. He's the king of all the ages. Bow the knee. It says of things in heaven. Notice in your Bible, the word things is in italics. Of things in heaven, angelic beings, those that have gone on, the souls of those that have gone on, things in the earth, those down here that know him and those that don't know him, and things under the earth, demonic beings, all it says Verse 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) Everyone will one day bow and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He's exalted. He's exalted. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32. It says this. This Jesus hath God raised up. Wherefore we are witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. He hath shed forth this which we now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens. But he hath said himself. The Lord saith unto my Lord. Sit thou on my right hand. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. That God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified. 
both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, just a, a book before the one we're preaching on, Paul in writing to that church at Ephesus, in the first chapter, he says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And then verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says that you and I were created for his glory. We were created to glorify God. Jesus, at the great highest priestly prayer, I call this the Lord's Prayer, not the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but the high priestly prayer of our Lord in John chapter 17. He says in verse 4 to the Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Psalm 115 verse 1. Pastor friend of mine, there were three pastors this morning that from different parts of the country who had texted me today. One is sitting in this auditorium today and I appreciated that more than you'll ever know. One of them from lives in Elmira, New York, but he pastors just into Pennsylvania. He sent me this verse of scripture on a text. Psalm 115, verse 1. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. He's the one that's exalted. He's the one that needs to be lifted up. And he's the one that it says here will be lifted up and every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. In his incarnation, in his humility, in his exaltation, my Savior exemplified true humility. J.H. Jowett said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. It cost our Savior everything. He gave his life. One time a, a missionary in Brazil was going around to a little market area and they had little booths set up. And they had a, a booth set up and on a table it had a sign that said, Cheap Crosses. Cheap crosses. Did you know a bunch of folks are looking for cheap crosses? Jesus went to a cross that he paid the ultimate sacrifice for. It cost him something. He paid our sin debt in full. Jesus gave his life. He paid it all that you and I might live. In his sacrifice... In his servant attitude, in his exaltation, he exemplified true humility. Revelation chapter 4. I love the songs that are sung in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. 
This will get a Presbyterian excited right here. Amen. I love it. Verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's exalted. He's exalted. My Savior is exalted. His name, the Lord, the Master. He's the Master. Hudson Taylor says Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Is he your Lord? Is he the Master of your life? His name is indeed wonderful. He's the Lord. Romans chapter 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Every knee one day will bow, not in salvation, but they're going to agree with God that this is indeed the God of heaven, that he's the Lord, he's the master. If you will Confess him. If you're here today without Christ, you don't know him as your personal Savior. Today, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Shall be saved. You could know him today if you don't know him now. I thank the Lord that as we look at this text, you and I need to bow in submission to the one who submitted himself and humbled himself for you and me. And those here without Christ need to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that they too today would come to know him as Savior. That we could bow the knee to our Lord, to our master, to the one who is our king, the one who has sovereign authority over us and over all things. Back in our text in Philippians chapter 2, if you will notice with me, where it says there toward the end of that text that he is exalted. Notice with me at the end, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says in that text, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In doing so in this great text of Christology, he's exemplified Verses 3 and 4 of the same chapter. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory or pride, but in lowliness of mind and humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of the interest of others. Let this mind, this attitude be in you, which was also in 
Christ Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a Savior who humbled himself. A Savior who is God in the flesh. A God who took upon human form made in the likeness of men and humbling himself to the obedience of his death even upon the cross. Thank you that God has already highly exalted him in our life. We pray that that would be true too. That in our lives, by our life and lips, Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.